to that happy place where we shall extol the Lord, looking on his face, sharing all the joys up there in sunny climes, praising Jesus evermore. What a happy time!
tonight. As the choir comes down, let's shake hands when we all get to heaven. Shaking hands with everyone around as they come down now. Greet all those friends. get everybody involved this time now you got an option we sing this last verse and we get happy about it or there's a little song that says I'm in right out right up right down right happy all the time now I've still threatened that one of these nights we're going to do that but I'll tell you folks we got a reason to be happy tonight not a fact is that we're going to a place we're already positionally there already that's where we're on our way it's being prepared for us as we go but let's sing tonight when we all get to heaven let's do that last one onward to the prize before us clap your hands get happy tonight come on we'll help you all to get going together too ready sing onward to the prize before us soon his beauty will be soon we shall transmit the goal when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be victory and all the people said amen good let's all be seated now we're going to ask Tara she'll come now and sing for us Could they read? 
but with healing in his hands. And could they really understand? They could not. They listened to the teaching that they heard. They wondered at the mystery of his word. They wondered what he meant about a father's plan. They heard, but could they really Thank the Lord they could not. Take your Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. We get back into our journey through Joshua. The holidays kind of got us out of our study with our programs and different things, but we come back and we get right back into our study through Joshua and we pick up where we left off in our last study. I want you to stand and I want to read to you just a few verses out of chapter 6. That paves the way to chapter 7. And I've thought about different ways to title this tonight. I guess 9 out of 10 sermons from Joshua 7, they will title Sin in the Camp. But I want us to do something tonight. I want us to ask Achan if it was worth it. We're going to let him testify to us tonight as we go through this chapter. We're just going to say, now, Mr. Achan, and you're going to tell us what you did now, what I want to know tonight is, do you think it was worth it? Considering how it all turned out, Achan, do you think it was worth it? Look at Joshua 6, verse 17. 
The Bible said, and the city shall be accursed. This is talking about the city of Jericho and their victory over Jericho. Even it, not only the city, but also all that are therein to the Lord. All things, the city, everything in the city is accursed. And we'll explain that in a moment to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourself from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver, in verse 19, and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Now skip over to chapter 7. Notice verse 1, Joshua 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Thank you. you. may be seated. Tonight I want to point out four things from this story. And I want us to ask Achan, Mr. Achan, I want you to testify tonight. Now we're learning about what you did. And we're learning about what you've done. Now we just want to ask you one thing. Was it worth it? Let's ask him tonight. Let's listen to him and let's try to listen to his answer. Let's pray. Our Father tonight in Jesus' name. We're very much aware tonight that the devil would love to defeat us. And the devil would love to destroy us. As we are advancing in Canaan, learning how to be victorious believers, we find our battles, and sometimes our battles and greatest battles, we fight with ourselves. But we know that Satan would love to conquer us, and he would love to defeat us so that we do not advance in what you have for us, and we do not appropriate and to experience all that we have in Jesus Christ. So tonight as we continue learning how to be victorious believers as we go through Joshua, help us tonight to learn from Achan. In fact, Lord, let Achan testify to us tonight. Lord, let his spirit and presence be among us tonight. And may we listen with attentive hearts to what Achan would say to every believer in this room. So we submit ourselves to you now and we ask you to speak to my heart as well as each one in this room. May we all learn from the story and the testimony of Achan to us tonight. And we'll thank you and praise you for it is in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things, amen. The backdrop to our text that I read to you just a moment ago in chapter 6, verses 17 through 19 is the victory at Jericho followed by the defeat at Ai. Again, the backdrop finds them on one end victorious. On the other end, it finds them defeated. In one case, we see a dependence on God. But in the other case, we see a displeasing of God. At Jericho, we find them fighting, depending on the Lord. But at Ai, we find them fighting, but they are displeasing to the Lord. In one situation, we see a condition of victory, but in the other situation, we see a cause of defeat. And when I think about both of these cases, their victory at Jericho and their defeat at Ai, I would, ask, I would say this, that who would have thought it? In both cases, who would have thought it? When you think about their victory at Jericho, in our last study, we thought about the walls of Jericho, how they came tumbling down. Who would ever thought that they would be victorious in the circumstances and in the maneuvers and the manners in which they approached the battle? Who would ever thought they would be victorious against the massive walls of Jericho to begin with? And then who would have ever thought that they would be victorious by simply doing nothing but by marching a total of 13 times around the city and then just shouting about it? Who would have ever thought it? But yet they were victorious and God gave them a great victory. But then when you come to Ai, who would have ever thought they would have been defeated? 
In fact, you'll read chapter 7 and you'll find that the spies went out and they came back and said, look, this is no, 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 no big deal. This is easy pickings for us. And, of course, they're filling their oats now. God has given them victory at Jericho. But they come back and said, look, there's no use sending the whole army out there. Two or 3,000 at the most. No big deal. We can take them in just a matter. It's a very, very easy thing. And so 3,000 men go out just a small portion of the army that's been victorious at Jericho go out against a much smaller foe, nowhere near the enemy they have just conquered, and they go out against this foe, and before they know it, they are running for their lives, and they end up with 36 casualties, and you read about that in chapter 7. Who would have thought it? Who would have ever thought they would have been victorious at Jericho, but who would have ever thought they would have been defeated at Ai? Again, you have two stories. You have victory at Jericho. You have defeat at Ai. Well, you find at the heart of the story here is a man by the name of Achan. And as you go through the chapter, you learn that he was of the tribe of Judah. You'll learn that he was of the family of the Zarites, and he was the son of Zabdi. But you'll find that the story of Achan is a story of sin in the life of the believer. As I said, what I want us to do tonight is let Achan testify to us. I want Achan to stand up tonight, and I want him just to tell us a little bit about what he did. I want us to tell us, him to tell us why he did it. And then I want to ask him at the very end tonight, now, Achan, after we know all about this and what you've done, I just want to ask you one question. Was it worth it? Now, I might ask the question tonight to every one of us in this room, is sin ever worth it in our life? There are sins in our lives in many different ways, but when it's all said and done, I ask ourselves and ask me, I ask you, is our sin worth it? One may fail in one way, one may sin in another way, but I want you to understand something tonight, that sin is never worth it. And there are many in this room that could get up and testify, not just with Achan, but I can say, Mr. Achan, would you sit down, so-and-so, will you come, ma'am, would you come, sir, would you come? You testify tonight, and you tell us whether it's worth it to let sin in your life. Tell us whether it's worth it to disobey God. There are many that could answer and give an answer to that question tonight. Well, I want us to look tonight at Achan, and we find that his sin revolves around certain items. There was a Babylonian garment, there was 200 shekels of silver, and there was a wedge of gold. It's his sin revolves around those items. So understanding that, I want us to build our message around those items tonight. A Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold. Let's build our thoughts around those items tonight and consider four of them, and then we'll ask Achan tonight if it was worth it. The first thing that I want to point out to you in the story is what I call consecrated items. When you look at the story, you find there are items that are consecrated to the Lord. You'll find in verse 18 that these things are called a curse. Look in verse 17 or verse 18 of chapter 6. We read it a moment ago. And here is the word of God to them, and ye... In any wise, keep yourself from the accursed thing. There's the first time they're called accursed. When lest you make yourself accursed, when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. Now, these items that we're talking about tonight are items that are described in verse 18 as being accursed things or accursed items. Now, a lot of times when we think of something being accursed or somebody putting a curse on something, we think in the negative. Well, the particular word that is used there when he talks about these things are two different words that are used for a curse in the verse. But he says, keep yourself from the accursed thing. That's the first time. And then second, when you take of the accursed thing. The word that is used there for the word accursed is a word that literally means to shut in. The word itself talks about somebody maybe throwing, over a, throwing a net over something and capturing that individual or capturing that thing and shutting it in or tying it down. That is literally what the word that is used here means. But sometimes it was used to speak of that which was shut in or we might say that which is doomed for a certain matter. Like a hunter would throw a net over an animal, his prey, then that prey, as you would imagine, is destined for doom. That's why he's trapped it. That's why he's shut it in in the net or caught it in the net. It is destined for doom. 
The word having that meaning was sometimes used to speak of that which is appointed toward destruction or appointed to destruction or that which is doomed. Some, that's why you get the idea of a curse, that which is a curse, that which is doomed to destruction, or that which is appointed to destruction. But there are times that it's not used in a negative sense, such as doomed for destruction or appointed for destruction, but sometimes the word was used in a positive sense, such as it is appointed to this particular matter. Like most of the time, it was appointed to destruction. But here when the word is used, it is not saying this items or these items are doomed to destruction or appointed to destruction, but rather they have been appointed for another reason. They have been shut in for a particular reason. And that particular reason is they have been appointed for God or they have been shut in for God. They have been blocked out, you might say, from any other purpose but for the purpose of God. In other words, when he's talking about the accursed things, it's not talking about something in a negative sense, doomed for destruction, but something that has been shut in, set apart from any other purpose, and it's been appointed for the purposes of God. In fact, verse 19, you find that they were to be consecrated. That's the word that is used. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. And the word consecrated, when you're talking about consecrated, you're talking about that which is set apart from any normal use, and that has been that which has been set apart under divine use, that which has become holy because it is set apart unto the Lord. What he's saying when he talked about the accursed things is there are things that are consecrated to God. They're shut in to God. They're shut. Everybody else is shut out from them. They don't belong to anybody else. Nobody gets them. Nobody has them. They belong to God. They are consecrated and set apart unto the Lord. So they are consecrated items. Well, when I think about this matter of these items, a Babylonian garment consecrated to God, 200 shekels of silver consecrated to God, and a wedge of gold consecrated to God, it reminds me that oftentimes in the Bible you find things that God shuts in, we might say, to himself. He says, kind of puts a wall around him or a, a boundary around him and says, wait a minute, these are mine. These belong to me. It's a matter of consecration. You find garments consecrated to the Lord, utensils consecrated to God, buildings consecrated to God, set apart not to be used for any other purpose but for God. They belong to him. But you'll also find in the Bible that people are consecrated to God. I'm to be consecrated to God. You are to be consecrated to God. Now, you take the matter of consecration. These items were consecrated to God. But just like these items were uh, consecrated to God, me and you or you and me as a believer, we are to be consecrated to God. Now, you say, Brother Ken, what is consecration? Let me just point out two things about it that I learned from these items. For one thing, I find that consecration is a commanded matter. Again, this is what God said to Joshua. He said, everything in that city is mine. Just like you would shut in something or throw a net over something, and that which you were just like a hunter saying, this is mine, this is my prey, I've caught it, this is mine, belongs to me, I want you to give the whole city, set a net about it, shut it in, it's mine. Everything in that city belongs to me. Everything, every part of that city, every living soul in that city is mine. It was a command of God to Joshua. Now, you listen to me tonight. When it comes to this matter of things being consecrated to God, in particular, you and me being consecrated to God, you understand this tonight, that consecration is not a suggested matter. When God talks about us being consecrated to God, for example, Romans 12, verse 1, and you know the verse. I believe it's on the screen. Romans 12, verse 1. The Bible said, "Let uh, Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, that's not a suggestion. When God says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, when God says, consecrate your life to God, that is not a suggestion. That is a command. And I would say to everyone in this room tonight, and I point my thumb back as I point my finger to you, that if we are not consecrated to God, we are living in disobedience. For this is a matter that has been commanded of God. 
He said, consecrate it all unto me. It is a commanded matter. But second of all, it is a complete matter. For you notice verse 19 that all the silver, all the gold, all the vessels of brass and iron, everything in the city, all of it, he said, is to be given to God. It is a complete matter. Now, when it comes to consecration, you say, am I consecrated to God? Well, here's a good test. Is everything about you given to God? Is everything you have, has it been given to God? If there is one area of your life you've not given to God, you're not consecrated. If there is one area of your life that you're holding back, you're not consecrated. If there is one thing you would not do if it was God's will for your life, then you are not consecrated. For you see, consecration not only is a commanded matter, it is a complete matter. It means giving everything to God. To be consecrated to God means that I have been shut in, shut out from any other purpose but for God. That everything about my life, everything I own, everything I am, my plans, my future, my goals, my dreams, my ambition, my career, everything has been given to God. My family has been given to God. My children has been given to God. My house has been given to God. My paycheck has been given to God. It's a complete matter. That's consecration. And if there's one area of our life that we have failed to give God, listen, God is wanting more than just 10%. Now, he may ask for 10% out of our paychecks on Sunday, but I want you to understand, son, the truth of the matter is he really wants 100%, but all he asks us and requires us to give back is 10%. But every penny of it belongs to God. Amen. Amen. God wants more. I'm not talking about just money now. He wants more than 10% of our lives. He wants more than 50%. You say, hey, man, I've given 50% of it to God. I'm doing better. I'm doing good. I'm doing better than the average. Now, you may be doing better than the average, but you're not being obedient. I've given 75%, Brother Ken. Don't I get a bronze star? I may give you a star, but God won't give you a star because the only way you're going to get anything from God by reward for consecration is he's got 100%. I love Civil War history, and I was reading not too long ago a story about President Jefferson. It was really when the states had just began succeeding and it was really before war had begun to break out. But uh, President Jefferson, he'd been recently elected as president of the southern states, and he drew up a map and sent it to President Lincoln. And this map showed states that he felt should be recognized as being southern states. And he said, here's what we'll do. In fact, what he was saying is, Mr. Lincoln, from these states are yours, and these states belong to me. And if you'll accept that, then we'll get along just fine. We'll have two governments, a north and a south and whatever. Well, Mr. Lincoln looked at the map, and it said that he turned to those in the room and said, gentlemen, this government wants it all. And I say to you tonight, when God looks at our life, God looks down at me and says, Ken Driven, I want it all or nothing. And God's not going to settle for a 50 or a 49 out of 50 states in my life, if I can use that term. He's not going to settle for 25. He wants it all. And he won't settle for anything less than all. It's complete. William Booth of the Salvation Army, Queen Victoria, invited him one time to visit her. And when she came, when he visited Queen Victoria, General Booth, or she looked at General Booth and said, Mr. Booth, why is it that God has used you so mightily? And it said Mr. Booth bowed his head and leaned toward the ground in his, his act of humility. He said, he, said, uh, said, he said to his queen, he said, Your Majesty, if God has used me in any degree, it's because God has had all of William Booth there is to have. That's consecration. It is a commanded matter. It is a complete matter. All that we are, all that we have belongs to God. Just like the silver, just like the brass, just like the garments, like the city, Every item, God said, these are mine. These are mine. Nobody else's, these are mine. It was a complete matter. But let's move in the story, to get in the heart of the story. You not only see consecrated items, but I look as I move through the story, I find these consecrated items became coveted items. Coveted out of items. Drop this reference down, James 1.14. James 1, 14, the Bible said, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. See, there was a day that the battle came. 
Jericho. God, they had crossed the Jordan River, and God said, I'm going to give you Jericho. So one day they get up, they march around it one time. They don't say a word. They get up the next day, march around it, don't say a word. They do that for six days, march around it one time, don't say a word. Took about 20 minutes to march around uh, and whatever, uh, uh, but they didn't say anything. But then on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times, and on the last trip around, they blew the trumpets and shouted, and the walls came tumbling down. And I can see the children of Israel, the soldiers, scrambling over those walls and those ruins there, claiming their victory. God is giving them the city. And I can see Achan as he charges through the crowd, saying the battle belongs to God. And then he began to gather all the spoils for God. And he began to claim everything for God. Every man said, that's God's, that's God's, that's God's, that's God's. All of it belongs to God. And so they're gathering it all up to put it into the treasury of the Lord. But maybe Achan goes around a corner and he finds out, out there in a corner and everybody else is over here and he looks around, nobody's looking, whatever, and he sees these things. And the Bible said that he began to cover those matters. You see, the greatest battle that Achan fought that day was not the battle of Jericho. The greatest battle that Achan had to fight was a battle with himself. Now, won't you listen to me tonight? The greatest battles we fight in life are not our Jerichos. God can handle those Jerichos. But the battles we face and the greatest battles we fight every day are the battles we have to fight right here in our own heart. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let me jump ahead to chapter 7 and notice his confession beginning in verse 20. Joshua 7 beginning in verse 20. We jump ahead. And you find his confession. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 20, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then... I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent. Now, in that one verse alone, verse 20 and two verses, verse 20 and 21, you find the steps that leads to sin in the life of the believer. Are you with me now? I want you to follow me. I want you to notice, first of all, what Achan desired. Notice what he desired. Verse 21 said that he coveted those items. He found them. Maybe he's going through some ruins or whatever there, and he comes upon them. And there it is, a beautiful coat. I'm talking about a beautiful S&K garment. And he finds it there. And he says, hey, I, that's, that looks like a 42 regular. That'll fit me, just in case you want to know what my size is. Amen? <laughs> 36 ways. And uh, 30 him. But he said, that looks like about my size. And he says, man, look. That. And so he sees these items. And the Bible said he coveted them. Now, the word covered there simply means that he desired them. He saw something he liked. He saw something that appealed to him. He saw something that got his attention. He saw something that began to lure him. That's what he saw. I think about what a statement James made, and this is a powerful statement. In James chapter 2, it talks about, and I read it a moment ago, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Those two words, drawn away, every man is tempted when he is drawn away. That is a fisherman's term. The words drawn away come from a fisherman. For example, when you go down to the lake and you're going to catch you a bass, when you go down there, you get all your fishing equipment and whatever, and you have your hook, and you're sitting on the bank, and you want to catch a bass or a catfish or something like that, let's go catfishing tonight. And so we'll go down and sit on the bank. We're going to try to catch a big old channel cat out of the river over here, one of those that will bring us to our knees, and one of those we can brag about for six months. So we get down there, and we're going to catch that big old blue cat. 
We get our pole, we got our hook, got the right size, and we take that hook and we throw it out in the water. And we think, now Mr. Catfish is going to come along and he's going to get that hook and I'm going to pull him in. But if all you do is throw out a bare hook out there, you're not going to catch catfish, you're not going to catch anything. But what you do is you want to put something on that hook that will draw him away. You want to put some chicken livers on it. I mean, hang three or four chicken livers on that thing. Amen? Isn't it great to get your hands down in a big old pail of chicken livers and hang them down on that? And when you do, it's amazing. What you wouldn't do at home, you go down there to the lake and you got chicken livers all over your hands and you're wiping your mouth and, and stuff like that. But you hang those chicken livers on the hook or a big old cheese there and he's swimming along just minding his own business and all of a sudden something gets his attention something that draws him away is chicken livers and he begins licking his mouth chicken livers I hadn't had chicken livers in a month and he sees those chicken livers and they pull at him and they entice him they draw him away now, James said, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Now, I want you to understand something tonight. We are God-created human beings. And in these bodies of ours, as God's created beings, he put within us certain desires. And he so designed life that every one of the desires that we have, he designed it so that somewhere those desires can be fulfilled. But what happens is this old world wants us to fulfill our God-given desires in a way that God never intended those desires to be fulfilled. You see, it's a God-given desire to be thirsty. Nothing wrong with drinking Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper, and all of those good drinks, Gatorade, tea. But what God would not... What the Bible would condemn is satisfying our desire for drink in a way that he never permitted or allowed us to go over there and pull the jug, cork out the jug or something like that. That's not, that would be fulfilling a God-given desire, but in a not, in a, in a, in, in, and not in a God-given way. Our desires and our desires for the opposite sex and for one another, theirs are God-given desires. Nothing wrong with them. They were put in there by God to draw human beings together, to bring them in relationships, that they might become one and become something used for God. Nothing wrong with those desires unless they are fulfilled outside of the will of God. Then that becomes wrong. But what happens is we have these desires and out there around us day by day by day are these hooks with chicken livers on them trying to get our attention. Appealing to our flesh, appealing to our desires, our lust, those desires, those things in our body that we crave and want. And what happens is the world is dangling those things out there to draw us away, to get us to fulfill our desires outside of God-given way. That's what happens. What he saw, what he desired, he coveted, it appealed to him. But second of all, here's where the sin came in. Second of all, not only what he desired, but what he did. For he not only desired them, but he went ahead and made the mistake of taking them. Now, you listen to me tonight. The Bible said he saw. The Bible said he coveted. And the Bible said he took. Now, I want you to understand me tonight. When he saw, he hadn't done anything wrong. He hadn't sinned when he saw. In fact, he hadn't sinned when he coveted. Now, what if you came upon a beautiful Babylonian garment? Would, would you not think, boy, that, buddy, I would look good in that. Could you see me in Sunday school wearing that? Boy, the folks down the church say, uh, boy, I'd look good. Wouldn't you want to have a nice garment? And who wouldn't want 200 shekels of silver and gold? Would, I mean, don't you want money? How many of you want money? Well, you that didn't raise your hand, why are you going to work for in the morning? Amen. 
These are things we want and things. And when he saw them and he desired them, he really hadn't done wrong then. But I'll tell you when he committed sin, when he yielded to his desires, when he yielded to his temptation, it is not wrong to be tempted. It is not wrong to be tempted. We are going to be tempted. You say, not me, it doesn't bother me. Then please, somewhere, Glenn, go out there and find a shovel and let's bury them now before they start stinking. Because if you're not bothered and there's not things that pull at you and tempt you, you're dead. Can I say it again? You're dead. You stink, you're rotten, you're dead. You ought to be buried because you're not human. You don't have desires. They all, all of us have things that pull at us. What may tempt you may not tempt me. What may tempt you may not tempt you. But every one of us battle with them. And every day there's something out there that makes us, it draws us and pulls at us and whatever. The temptation is not sin. It is the yielding to the temptation that is sin. It was a coveted item. But let me give you a third thing about the story. Not only do you see these consecrated items becoming coveted items, but thirdly, they became concealed items. Look in verse 21 of our text. In Joshua 7, verse 21, again, he's given his confession, and he says, and he said in verse 21, I saw, said in the middle of the verse, I coveted. He said, thirdly, I took them and notice, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver that is under it. You see, he concealed his sin. Or he hid these items. They were consecrated items. He covered those items. He took them, and then he concealed them. One thing led to another. Now, let me just point out two brief things about what he did, the concealing of these items. For one, I think about the familiarity of his actions. Now, what do I mean when I talk about the familiarity of his actions? Are we, is that not the norm when you sin to try to cover your sin? Is that not the norm in all of our lives? Is that not how we normally sin? We sin and try to cover that sin. Say, no, 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 I sin. I want everybody to know I sin. No, you don't. When you do wrong and you disobey God, you usually try to hide it. You don't want anybody else to know about it. You don't want anybody else to find out about it. It's the familiarity of his actions. That's what we normally do. When we sin against God, we try to hide our sin. When we sin against God, we try to conceal our sin. When we do wrong, we try to hide it. And sometimes act like dirty snakes trying to conceal it and to hide it rather than it being disclosed. That's the familiarity of his action. But here's what I want you to get. There is not only the familiarity of his actions, but there is the failure of his actions. He hid them, tried to hide them. But look at chapter 7, go back to verse 10. Verse 10 now, here they've been defeated at Ai. They go out, little hand, about 3,000 go out and they get whipped. 36 of them get Killed. They come back, and Joshua, he's, he, he doesn't know what to say. He's absolutely flabbergasted, and he falls on his face before God. And verse 10, he cries out to God, and this is God's answer. The Lord said unto Joshua in verse 10, Get thee up! Wherefore liest thou thus up on thy face? And God says to Joshua, Israel hath sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also and they have put it even among their own stuff. Now here's God telling Joshua what's happened. Now Achan, he crams that garment down in his, behind his shield he slips that silver in one of his pouches or pockets and that wedge of gold and he carefully makes his way back to the tent and he digs a hole in the ground and he buries it there and he covers it up thinking nobody knows what I've done. But how wrong Achan was. For right here you have somebody knowing what he's done. Joshua don't know what's happened. But God said, Joshua, I know what's wrong. I saw what Achan did. In other words, he tried to hide it, but the failure of his actions was he could not hide it because God saw what he was doing. And God went on to reveal the matter. Here's what God said to him. He said, this is what I want you to do tomorrow. I want you to sanctify the people. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring all the tribes, all 12 tribes before me. 
And I'm going to point out one tribe out of the 12. You let the rest of them go. And when you get that one tribe, I point out to you, and he said, then I want you to bring them forth family by family by family. All the families of that tribe, I'm going to point out one of the families. And when I point out the family, let the rest of them go, and then I'm going to have them come through household by household by household of that family, and I'm going to point out a household. And then when our household comes through, that I'm going to point out a man. And that man is the man that's responsible for what's going on. In other words, God not only knew, but he revealed his sin. You see what he did? He tried to hide it. But I want you to understand something to me tonight. I may not have much sense, no claim to, but I want you to understand one thing. And this I know, there's not a thing I do that God doesn't know about it. And you can't hide sin. You cannot hide sin. If you think you're hiding your sin, then you're fooling yourself. You're mocking God. You're only deceiving yourself. You think you've got it covered. You think you got it buried over there in the tent. Nobody knows about it. Nobody knows about it. Listen, your, your friend may not know about it. Your family may not know about it. But, buddy, I want you to know somebody else that does know about it. And there's not a thing that we do that he doesn't know about. God knew what he was doing. I read the other day about a fellow that was in this home, wealthy man. And the man uh, received a phone call, and he got up. And he went out of the room for just a moment. And the fellow's in there, and he'd been admiring this clock that's over there on the mantel. And when the man stepped out of the room, he went over there. He had one of these long garments in Oriental country, and one of these long garments, these big old arms and, and whatever. He went over to the mantel and put the clock up in his sleeve. And when the man came back, and when the man walked in the room, they talked a little bit, and he noticed that the clock was missing off the mantel. The guest said to him, said, well, I've enjoyed being here. I've got to leave. He said, oh, no, no, don't be in a hurry to leave. He said, I really need, oh, no, no, no. He called the service, bring him another drink, tea, whatever. And he said, no, 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 rush off. Just, just hang around a little bit longer. We'll talk to you a little more. And what he was doing was keeping around there to the top of the hour. <laughs> and at the top of the hour, dong, 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 he got called. Now, you may think, you listen to me, you may think you've got it hid, but I want somewhere at the top of the hour is coming. God knows what we do. God knows how we live. God knows our sins. He knows whether we're right or wrong. And you may hide your sin from man, but you cannot hide your sin from God. It was a concealed items. But let me give you a final thing. Mr. Aiken, was it worth it? He took consecrated items and he coveted them. And he took those coveted items and he concealed them. But I want you to see fourth and last of all that they were costly items. Don't you understand something tonight? Sin always has a price. Sin always has a price. Let me just quickly give you two of them. you notice first of all in the story that sin deprives us. Look at verse 12 again. We read it a moment ago, but look at it again. In chapter 7, verse 12, therefore the children of Israel Joshua said, what happened, God? God says, I know what happened. It's sin in the camp. He said in verse 12, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. They disobeyed me. And notice this next statement. Neither will I be with you anymore except you destroy the accursed thing from you. You don't know why they got beat? It wasn't because they were better militarily. They were better. But you know why they got beat? God wasn't with them. God took his, take, had taken his blessings off of them. The hand of God had been removed from them. You see, the sin of Achan, which had ramifications throughout the whole nation of Israel, they got beat because God didn't go with them. They got defeated because God was not with them. You see, sin deprived them of the presence of God. Sin deprived them of the power of God. Don't you understand something? When we sin against God and we disobey God and we violate God's standards and there's sin in our life and we let that sin and try to live in our life and abide in our life and try to cover that sin, I want you to understand, son, you may hide it for a time being. God knows everything about it, but I promise you the moment we do it and the moment we cover it and take and the moment we hide is the moment God takes his blessings off our life. Hey, Mr. Aiken, was it worth it? Mr. Aiken, you remember how you shouted when you came across the Jordan? You remember how amazed you were when God parted the Jordan River 
and opened that path there and you stood there with your mouth open and you said, the Lord, he is God. And you came across shout because you knew God. You remember the joy that you felt in your heart when you came out on the other side saying, we're here. God's brought us to the land of promise. You remember when you scaled those rocks and those stones at Jericho shouting the battles of the Lord and you remember the joy and the victory in your heart and you remember the blessing of that moment. Mr. Aiken, was it worth it to disobey God? Was it worth it to let sin in your life? Was it worth it to yield to temptation? Hey, Aiken, was it worth it to hide what God said you were not to have? Was it worth it? I'm sure Mr. Aiken say, not at all. It cost me too much. An old garment and some gold and silver cost me the presence of God in my life. Cost me the blessings of God in my life. Cost me the joy of the Lord. It robbed me of my power and robbed me of my peace and robbed me of God's presence in our life. And maybe somebody here tonight, you used to live for God and serve God, and your life was a vibrant testimony to others. You were used of God and glorified God, but maybe there's something in your life that's not right. I want to ask you tonight, Achan, you, me, is it worth it to sin against God and to lose that joy in our life? Is it worth it? It, de it deprives us. Are you listening to me? Yes. Second of all, I want you to notice this. It also can destroy us. Look at chapter 7, verse 24 and through 26. Talk about how you want to see how serious God is about sin. I'm glad, listen to me, we ought to be thankful tonight we're under grace and not under law. Because I want you to look at chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. God wanted to give Israel an object lesson. Look, I'm not going to tolerate sin, and if there is sin, I want it purse. I want it out. Verse 24, Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had, and brought them under the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them, that is, his family, everything with fire after they had been stoned with him stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day, so the Lord turned the fierceness of his anger. What God was doing was saying, look, I'm not going to put up with sin. I'm not going to tolerate sin. And so the, uh, the strictness of what we see here, God was telling Israel, look, sin is going to be put out or I will not bless. And when sin is known, it is going to be purged and it is going to be purged totally if I am to bless you and my anger is to be turned away. But in Achan's case, his sin destroyed him. His sin literally led to his own destruction. I'm going to tell you something. Sin will deprive you of God's blessings. It'll rob you of the blessings of God. It'll strip you of all that you have enjoyed. But I'm going to tell you something. If sin's not dealt with somewhere, it will destroy you. It will destroy you. Hey, Aiken, it's a joy to have you here tonight. Come up here. I'm, I want you to come and testify to these folks tonight. We all know about what you did. And I know it's not a proud moment in your life. And I know that uh, you're embarrassed that I even bring the matter up. But Aiken, I believe you could help us tonight. Mr. Aiken, was it worth it? Mr. Aiken would say 10,000 times 10,000 no times no. It is never worth it to sin against God. It is never worth it to yield to sin. It is never worth it. And many, we can all testify that it's just not worth it to sin against God. It costs too much. It costs too much. It costs too much. I started this thing when I was 16 years old. I've been pastoring since I was 19, almost 20 years old. This is all I know. This is all I have done. And these years, trying to serve God, 26 plus years that I've been preaching and trying to serve God, my paths has crossed many. Many dear friends I have scattered all over this country, men of God, servants of God, 
Men that I'm privileged to be around, preach with in conferences and different things. Sometimes to be in their churches. and do, What a joy. And I've had the privilege of meeting many down through these 20 plus years. But I know many tonight I could start naming them that I have known through the years that are no longer serving God tonight and no longer living for God and no longer, and maybe living for God, but they're no longer in the ministry. A dear friend of mine, tonight, he's not in a church. A dear friend of mine, one that I spoke to probably once, twice a week, loved like my own brother, not even serving, not even in a capacity of being able to minister tonight. Because somewhere he saw, and somewhere he coveted, and somewhere he took. It's not worth it. Said to him the other day, and I called him every once in a while to check on him. I said, how are you doing? We talked about things, and I said something. He said, Brother Ken, believe me, I think of it every day, what I've done. I think about it every day, what I've done. And what he was saying to me, what Aiken would say to us tonight, it's not worth it. Oh, there might be something out here that looks a little better, greener pastures and something will pull in our flesh. But I want you to understand something. It's not worth it. It's not what it'll cost you to give up your joy in the blessings of God. Achan, is it worth it? Absolutely not. Let's stand our feet, please. Are you listening to the Word of God tonight? Here's what you ought to do. You ought to fall on your face before God and say, Dear God, I could be an Achan Lord, Achan, no, he's, I'm no better than Achan. I'm no stronger than Achan. You ought to fall on your face before God and say, Oh, God, keep my heart soft. Keep my heart on fire. Keep Christ real to me. Keep the glory in my soul. God, keep me. Don't let me fall. Don't let me yield to sin. God, watch over my life. Achan's ought to remind us that if it but wasn't but, but for the grace of God, there we would go. And Aikens ought to remind us tonight how we need more than ourselves. We need God. I don't care how many Jerichos you've conquered. If you don't conquer yourself, it'll only lead to your destruction and destroy you. You ought to come, fall on your face before God and say, Oh God, don't let me become an Aiken. Don't let me become a casualty. May they not be a big old heap of stones put over my name of what I used to be. No, come and ask God to keep you where you ought to be. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, Lord, help us. I know it's possible for any of us. God, for me, it's possible. For anybody, it's possible. God, you know how weak this old flesh is, but God, be merciful to us. Oh, dear God, strengthen us and help us, Lord, because sin is not worth it. So, Father, speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen.